You're spending time just with yourself. You're spending time not looking at a screen. You're spending time putting your hands on something that is natural or from nature. And it's got a lot of life. There's a lot of vibrancy in a rising loaf of bread. And hopefully, if you're, hopefully, you're also doing your best to stay in the present moment while you're baking. And this is probably the most important aspect about food that I have to pass on <laughs> is that it allows us to really be present. <laughs> Welcome to Nature Junkie Radio. This is a place for us to explore the wisdom, wonder, and ways of nature connection to help replenish your stoke. I'm your host, Jeff Johnson, and I hope you enjoy the ride. Hey everyone, before we get into this episode, I would love to hear how you microdose nature. If you're up for it, get out your phone and record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and how it makes you feel. Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. I'll read it again. Hello at naturejunkielife.com. And I'd love to share it on a future episode of the podcast, just like this one right here. Hi, this is Kirsten from Del Mar, and I am currently in Montana. I've been here for a few days. We just drove in to Glacier National Park and I started crying. I was so overwhelmed by the beauty, by the green, by the majesty of the mountains. It's so amazing when nature hits your soul like that. Anyway, go outside, get outside, see the world. Thanks, Kirsten, for sharing that amazing microdose of nature. Audience, Kirsten is my beautiful wife, clearly enjoying a deep moment of awe witnessing Glacier National Park for the first time ever. That moment she shared shows the raw power of nature to radically shift our emotional states for the better. Okay, on to the show. Our guest is an absolute gem of a human. Today we're chatting with Cynthia Lair. Cynthia Lair has written three cookbooks, including Feeding the Whole Family and her latest, Sourdough on the Rise. She's given a TED Talk on how to cut an onion, yep, you heard that right, and was the host of the YouTube series Cookus Interruptus. Her passion for food and nutrition played out on faculty at Bastyr University from 1994 to 2016, where she created and directed Bastyr's Bachelor of Science in Nutrition and Culinary Arts degree program. She taught Whole Foods cooking in Seattle's famous PCC markets for nearly 30 years, and she presented at Dr. Andrew Weil's annual Health and Nutrition Conference. Her first career was acting in New York, and theater has been always a big part of her life, and more recently, she's turned to it full steam in performing and teaching improv theater. Now, like many of you, I love food. I love learning about how it's grown, where it was grown, how it was made, and who made it. I love cooking it, I love eating it, 
and importantly, sitting down with friends and family to share a great meal. It's really one of life's great joys. That said, over the last many years, food and nutrition have become a battleground of diet tribes fighting for their ideologies. And for me personally, it's a bit of a buzzkill. That's why I wanted to have Cynthia on the show. Her approach to food and cooking is a refreshing retreat to sensible ground. Our conversation isn't an endorsement for any one way of eating. After all, you need to do you. But it is an invitation to approach cooking as a way to enter the present moment and connect with your food, which, by the way, is nature. Connect deeper with yourself and the people around you. In this conversation, we traverse Cynthia's work from teaching to cookbook writing to cooking as an act of meditation to creating a YouTube channel and how her acting career and improv approach with all of it brings her into the present moment. If you're a parent trying to feed your family and create healthy behaviors around food, or if you're in desperate need for some common sense approaches to eating well, or maybe even just wanting to get the benefits of meditation without sitting on a cushion, I hope this episode will help replenish your stoke for the kitchen. Cynthia Lair, welcome to the show. Thank you. You've spent, you know, 30, 30 odd years teaching people how to cook with whole foods in, you know, yeah. in various settings, right? Like to the public through PCC, you know, and institutions like Bastyr, you know, budding doctors, nutritionists and acupuncturists and, all, and so on, books, you know, video platforms on YouTube. <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into each of these. Let's, let's kind of open up some space on, on each of them, but what, what prompted you to make the shift from doing this for yourself and for your family to teaching it? Well, that's a funny, there's a funny answer, which is they weren't interested in what I was selling. (laughs) You know, all my family in Kansas thought I was just annoying. Honestly, (laughs) really. (laughs) So I mean, they only they knew how, how annoying the world was going to become around food. Exactly. <laughs> you were the mild version a, then. I really was. I was just like, <laughs> eat some, eat some vegetables. Um, yeah. So I just, I just thought, um, I really thought, well, I have, I have really good sort of entertainment skills, you know, from being an actress for so long mm. and making television commercials and all the stuff I was doing in New York and I was still making a good living doing television commercials. And so I could afford to sort of mess around with, Hey, can I have some people at my house or can I go teach at this school or that school and, and, uh, and start spreading the good word kind of (laughs) the, the, the you'll feel better word, I think mostly. Yeah. Um, And of course, because I was pregnant, then then I started thinking about, well, what am I going to feed the baby? And so feeding the whole family wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write a book and be an author. Feeding the whole family was I did all this studying. I was living the the life of going through those stages in a human, a woman's life. And um, and we moved to Seattle when Grace was. Um, just shy of two years old and I knew no one and so I thought well I don't know what I'm doing here and I and I'm disconnected from everything I know from New York City 
I guess I'll write a book. <laughs> yeah. And there it begins. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, uh, all, all three of the books that I have written are, uh, invention is the mother of necessity. Yeah. Necessity is the mother of invention. Necessity is the mother of invention. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I thought, think it I thought, works both ways. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> so let, let's, uh, that's the book I'm holding up right now for people, which is your first book was. Oh, oh my God. That's the I have the edition. old copy. I have the first Oh, edition. that's Look, crazy. it's got food stains all over it. <laughs> uh, thankfully. Yeah, but your that, first book. That, that food's really boring in there. <laughs> I need an upgrade. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. By the fourth edition, I was, I, I'd gotten a lot, a lot more sure of my cooking and using mm -hmm. a lot more ingredients. So, yeah. Well, the, your first book that I'm holding up is Feeding the Whole Family, yeah. which has several editions. So choose wisely, according to Cynthia. I, I always take the last one because I, I rewrite at least a third of the book with each edition. Wow, that's a big upgrade on each one. So yeah. I, what I want to say about the book, Cynthia, is, you know, clearly I have the first edition and it stuck with me for a long time with lots of food stains because I use it, we use it. It's such a solid resource for families. Thank on you. Not just, you know, it, it's beyond just a recipe book, right? Because you're teaching people what are whole foods? How do you stock your pantry with them and the right kinds? And uh how do you make foods that kids will eat, you know, and how do you create kind of no fuss meals um, that a wide swath of people can enjoy? Um, and I think the fact that I still have it and use it as a testament to it being such common sense and a kind of noise filled warmonger food world. <laughs> that yeah. The yeah. Diet tribes have overtaken. Um, yeah. What beyond the awesome recipes, what were some of the main messages that you were aiming to get across with the book? Well, I when I was in school uh, studying nutrition, we were always talking about how to, you know, how to feed someone or help someone learn how to eat better in order to cure all these maladies. So, you know, diabetes or cancer or whatever it was. And, um, and I just thought, well, what if we just started from the beginning feeding human beings? Why do we have to wait till they're sick <laughs> and then tell them you need to eat better? How about let's eat better right from the get go? And so I was very, very passionate about that. You, you know, why not start when you're pregnant, when you're nursing and when you're giving a child its first food? Mm. Why not build a solid base? Love that. There's so much to be said for that lesson and i it's also very difficult to i want to acknowledge acknowledge for families including mine when my kids were younger to one assemble a group of people around a table prepare the food cross fingers they'll like it or at least most of them will like it or eat some of it and that's only gotten gotten more challenging with culture and yeah. technology lately um I'm of two minds right now because part of me wants to go down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole of like how messed up things are, uh, but I don't want to go too far down it. What do you, 
and I'll, I'll speak from experience first. Let me lay a little bit of canvas here. You know, when our, when my older son was little, uh, he went from eating a lot of different kinds of foods and was adventurous. And then he just started scaling back. It's like, nope, not that, not that. And, and I mean, he was such a rascal. Like we would try to sneak in veggies into different things and he would just like eat the thing. And then he could see the, the broccoli or whatever spit out the side. And it was so difficult. And when you're in that mode as a parent, you have what I remember is thankfully we're beyond it and he's come good now. And he's like, he makes Brussels sprouts on his own. And I'm just thinking, oh my goodness, thank you. <laughs> so good. But at the time it was like everyone around us, parents, in-laws, other relatives, friends, oh, try this, try this. So you have a, and it's like, if someone gives me one more dumb idea yeah. on this, I'm going to go insane. What advice do you have for parents these days about making a meal that everyone can eat together? Um, well, I think you you give it your best shot. So and don't punish yourself about it. I mean, honestly, right now, on any given night, let's say I I don't want to cook, and there are options out there that you could go get some fast food that was actually pretty healthy. Is is you know, tenfold at least since I raised my child. So yeah. there's that. Yeah. It is easier to get. You can drive to Whole Foods and pick up some stuff and feel okay about it. Um, the other thing is exactly what you just said, which is um, kids sometimes need to push back really hard against their parents and sometimes just a little hard, but they're all going to push back in some way. And so you you go here, this is what I'm eating here. This is um, what we would like you to eat. This is what we're providing. But beyond that, you kind of, unfortunately, have to let them make the mistakes and uh, and figure it out all over again for themselves, which is one of the um, criminal yeah. parts about being a parent. Yeah. It's so tough to watch them struggle but yeah. sometimes that's okay yeah yeah it was, it was very difficult right because you you buy the food you make the food you throw the food away you deal with the emotional drama at the table and it's it's yeah. it's, it's draining you know and it's hard yeah. but I, two things i know work for us or one thing where i took uh took some comfort as a parent going through that with my wife is we knew that what we were putting in and bringing in the house. So in other words, their environment was stocked with whole foods. Uh, yeah. And I mean, whole foods, the grocery store, I mean, with, with whole foods in the way that you talk yeah. about whole foods, good, yeah. good, mostly healthy stuff, even though some of it was convenient package, blah, blah, blah. It wasn't all from scratch or anything, but at least they were surrounded with, and we were modeling what we ate. And yeah. I think there's a lot to be said for that, even though they may not be eating all of it. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's show don't tell for sure. Yeah. So I think that over time that really mattered. And then, you know, eventually this is more when they were on high school where they started coming around more was um, the kind of meals where it's kind of everyone build their own, like taco yes. night, make yes. bowls. And it's like, you know, there's different things everyone can choose and build their own. That really was helpful. Yes. There's also a, a yin yang side to the whole thing. Because I spent a lot of years, a lot of years um, doing lectures here, especially in Seattle, and I would 
mostly I was very popular in the preschool and <laughs> and uh, elementary school age uh, PTA lectures. Mm. And uh, I learned so much about people. And one of the things, um, so I'll give you a yin and a yang. A, a yin side of it, or the kind of like a, where I'm like, what? Um, <laughs> was, uh, you know, I would often get these parents that would just whine. I mean, really just whine about, well, you know, the only thing that you'll ever eat is Cheerios and she's lost 15 pounds and, you know, just like whatever. <laughs> and, um, and I remember I was in this group, there were like a hundred people or something out there. And I said, you people need to put your big girl pants on here because you're the adults. You decide what they eat and not them. They don't have the skills or the knowledge or, or any kind of anything to be choosing their own food, which mm -hmm. sounded really harsh and tough. And I thought, uh oh, I'm never going to be asked back here again. And the whole place applauded. So it was the message they needed to hear. On the flip side, I would get into these little conversations with parents like um, this one in particular that I remember. This woman came up to me, was just nagging me. Well, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you. And I'm like, okay, okay, okay. And um, she had her son there who was about eight, I think, or nine so smart, you know, and fully conscious of what's going on. And she began to tell me this story, which I, I perceived as being pretty shaming about how awful he was because the only thing he ever wanted to eat was a hot dog and hot dogs are disgusting. And how dare he? And I, you know, what do you have to say about this? And will you please tell him he can't eat these? I mean, it was very <laughs> intense. And I was like, oops, we went too far the other way. Mm. And so I said to her, um, can I just talk to you for a minute? You know, get this child out of the way and let him recover if he ever did. And, uh, <laughs> I <know. laughs> and I said, do you eat hot dogs? And she said, no, never. They're horrible. And they said, well, they do make one, some that are just all beef or whatever. Yeah. And I said, well, what if you, instead of shaming him for his, you know, his preference, what if you had one night a week and it was hot dog night? Why don't you just do that? Where you're not like on his case about it, but you're actually going, okay. I'm going to come into your world for one night a week and then maybe you'll come into mine another night. And I don't know if she ever did it or not. She seemed to be, you know, quite contrary to the idea of herself eating a hot dog, but obviously she was buying them for this child. You know, it was so dumb. Anyway, so I had a lot of experiences where people pushed it way too far. Mm. Like, like, I can't let my child go to a birthday party because they might eat some cake, in which case you're like, well, you've lost your mind, right? Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now you're in, in, impeding on your child's social uh, yeah. skills. Yeah. yeah. 
oh, there's so much emotion wrapped up in all of this for yeah. all of us. You know, yeah. you know, when 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 I was at Bastyr over 20 years ago with you, it was so simple then because it was essentially like the alternative world versus the mainstream. And it was quite yeah. simple. <laughs> but yeah. now it's just all these splinters of diet tribes and yeah and warring and people fighting online over this and that oh i know we've lost lost an ability to find a a sensible ground here yeah we can't even agree on like brown rice yeah there's yeah we we, we can't we can't agree on we can't even agree on the the existence of carbohydrates you know i mean it's just (laughs) it's just crazy yeah. yeah let's let's not go down that trap door right now yeah. um but you but you know i mean i know you laugh at this stuff too and 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 what i really appreciate about what you've done over the many years is really teach a lot of common sense approach here you know it's not uh, that can appeal to a, a wide number of people um and that and that is just so refreshing these days so let's uh Let's shift gears a little bit off uh, feeding the whole family and go to Bastyr since I just brought it up. Yay, so you yeah. you taught, uh, I don't know what it's called now, but it was, you know, it was the culinary track, essentially the whole foods cooking track uh, when I was there. And for context, so you teach the naturopathic doctors that are, you know, becoming doctors there, acupuncturists, nutritionists, I don't, nutritionists, I don't know what other degrees, but a lot of students. And especially for doctors, even though NDs are different than MDs or medical doctors, you know, common gripe that we hear uh, or complaint around medical schools, oh, doctors don't learn anything about food or nutrition. And uh, I think it's pretty cool that you've put kind of a major dent in that over the the last couple of decades um, in teaching these doctors. What did you, what did you find about working with that audience or population or what do you think they're taking away from it? That's hopefully changing the course of things, at least for some people. I, well, I mean, I just heard, I heard this week from a, a woman who was a naturopath at Bastyr and uh, she was contacting me because she'd written a, a new book and she wanted me to endorse it. It was, it was the, it was, the book is good. It's huge. It's everything they teach there all in two volumes and it was a lot of the same messages. Mm. Um, so that's a, I don't, I don't remember when she was a student there, but it, it's amazing how on some level it's quite simple. You know, this is real food and this is not real food. Mm. That part of it should be sticking. I think it is. I was, <laughs> I was at the dentist recently. I'd had this horrible cough for not not covid and um i had sucked on cough drops for like six weeks or something and i had a little cavity you know i okay and i i was <laughs> i wasn't surprised at all and the dentist goes well you know you should eat whole foods and i'm like oh my god <laughs> and started telling me you know um really you should do that and not eat so much sugar and um you you know some of these things have a lot of sugar in them and i'm just like okay thank you that's so funny he's like listen here kansas you might want to slow down <laughs> yeah, on the sugar and eat some whole foods he had no idea who he was talking to <laughs> yeah well at some point he went oh yeah you wrote a book didn't you and i'm like yeah 
But oh, you know, so I'm not going to sit there and go, "Why? How dare yeah. you?" You know, it's yeah. silly. I just went, "You're right. I ate too many cough drops." But yeah. um, <laughs> and you know, right. there was the whole Andrew Weil thing. I went to several mm-hmm. of those conferences yeah. when I was at Bastier, and and eventually taught at a couple of those conferences. And definitely that's very impactful because they seem yeah. to trust him because he's an MD. Yeah. I loved his conferences. You know, it was, it was yeah. a lot of nutrition and medical science, but at the same time, I went to a lot of them as well, but all at the same time, they took painstaking effort to serve good food there. Unlike most yeah. conferences. And what was yeah. the woman that, that uh, helped with the food a lot there? Um, oh, oh yeah. She's still around. Wendy something. No. Anyway, anyway um, but I, I love those cute little yeah pixie pixie of a person. Yeah, I'll think of it later. Yeah, yeah. and and uh, I think it was at one of those conferences, or maybe in another thing I was at with with Doctor Weil. You know, he said, you know, out of all the things I've done, you know, he's been an MD for a long time. Basically, created the concept of integrated medicine and has helped spread that you know around the world. And has done many other things, but he said, you know, teaching how people how to cook and also the work he's he did in collaboration with True Food Kitchen through the restaurant. He said, I think that's been some of the more impactful work of my whole life, actually. Yes, I think so, too. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. because you can talk nutrition till you're red in the face. But um, if you don't know how to make something taste good, then it's all for naught. Yeah. And I think for, uh, I think it was interesting that it was part of the curriculum for the uh, naturopath program at Bastier because it, here, you yeah. know what though? It was optional. Oh, it was an option. Do you I know that I, I fought. So I fought for 15 years there to make it required. Hmm. There was a short period of time where it was required. It might've been when you were there and they had their own, I didn't teach the whole food section of that, but, um, but then they took it off of the required um at some point and you know i was like in yeah. deborah's office and like it is we yeah. can't have this <laughs> yeah well this is a good filter question for people if you're trying to find a good nd out there when you're getting to know them ask them if they had took the whole foods cooking class at uh, their school or not and that, that yeah. would be a filter for you <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> at best year one of the things that I love, and I know many other students did too, was uh, the cafeteria because the food was really good. And Jeff Basin was uh, the chef there at the time. Mm. And he used to bake this amazing bread. And I think you had a hand in that bread or those recipes, but I know you're an avid baker as well. And one of your other books is Sourdough on the Rise, yeah, which, which you released, I think, just before COVID. So did you know something was going to happen? I wish I did. <laughs> that was so odd, wasn't it? What timing? Yeah, it, it really got um, it, it, baking sourdough bread got so weirdly um, popular. Yeah. And banana bread. Yeah. And banana bread, right? Yeah. 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 I was actually looking at uh, stats recently from uh, there's a, a an insights group, a research group up in Seattle called the Hartman group. I don't know if you've ever yeah. come across them. Yeah, I have. We, sure. we do a yeah, lot of work yeah, yeah. with them. They're fantastic. And I was looking at how uh, baking uh, sourdough and from scratch and banana bread, yeah, peaked in 2020. And then a lot of it's fallen off, unfortunately. Um, but how did you, how did the book do? 
I think we've changed a lot in how we view cookbooks. Mm-hmm. And I think that cookbooks have become kind of a living room table or a coffee table mm-hmm. or something pretty to look at before you go to bed. Yeah. And uh, when people want information about cooking or nutrition, they're going to go online, yeah. the end. And uh, <laughs> yeah, in fact, you know, I mean, basically that's how I learned how to make better and better bread was well maybe there's another video that explains this mm. one aspect of it and, and there are they're all out there it's all out there so yeah but i did bake a lot during the pandemic i baked um i baked twice a week and one loaf i took to somebody for the entire time so i delivered somewhere close to 70 loaves of bread Wow. During the pandemic, and I would put them in this paper bag. First, I'd ask, do you want one, you know, or do you have some problem with bread? <laughs> and then um, then I'd get their address, and I'd go to their house, and sometimes we'd have a conversation at a distance, and later we were able to walk outside. But I was just, I just needed to do something for other people and connect with people. So, oh, what a cool way. I think that's part of what's missed, right? When we just rely on everyone else to cook our food for us. Yeah. 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 Uh, what uh I was a I was a pandemic idiot. I I baked two loaves of really beautiful sourdough and they were so delightful, probably with some really good olive oil and a glass of wine. And and then I I didn't do it after that. <laughs> Guilty. <laughs> but well, it's yeah. Yeah. But my you do, uh, you do other things though. Yeah, yeah. And it but every time I do decide to cook a loaf of bread from scratch, it's like this uh, primal achievement though. I go, oh, I did it. I have agency over the damn food system. We can do this. Yes. Uh, but it's hard to stick with it. Well, um, it has to, I mean, either it's routine or it's not. I mean, and it's okay. I mean, you have other things that you do that are routine. Yeah. But I think that the, I think that the the main thing is not that you're baking breads. I mean, baking bread mm. can be wonderful, but it's that you are spending time. You're spending time just with yourself. You're spending time not looking at a screen. You're spending time putting your hands on something that is natural or from nature, mm-hmm. and it's got a lot of life. There's a lot of vibrancy in a rising loaf of bread and hopefully if you're hopefully you're also doing your best to stay in the present moment while you're baking and this is probably the most important aspect about food that i have to pass on (laughs) is that it allows us to really be present because the food's so seductive, it's so pretty and it's beautiful and you know you're gonna eat it. So you're willing to like go, go with the flow or get in the flow or whatever you want it of the food. Um, just like you and surfing, you are you like it so much for whatever reason. And you, you, you like the water, you like the way it's different every day, you like all those things about it. And you're not in front of a screen and you're not, hopefully thinking about your problems because you're negotiating the waves 
Mm-hmm. And this practice of trying to stay present is what is more important, I think, to our health than brown rice. Beautifully said, <laughs> Cynthia. I love it. And it's one of the things, this is a perfect segue. We're going to talk about your TED Talk in a moment. But lately, what I really enjoy about cooking is part is there's a lot of uncertainty in this world that we deal with. There are a lot of screens also, as you mentioned. And when I'm cooking dinner, I'm cooking dinner. And it's real clear. There's a point A, there's a point B. I get absorbed in it. I smell the smells. I touch everything. My hands smell. I feel the skin of the onion, all of this, right? And I'll use that as a segue to your TED Talk, which you have this TED Talk on how how to cut an onion. And yes, you do practically show us how to cut an onion, but the heart of the talk is really about cooking as a meditative practice, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you you talk about, um, you know, the shape, the sexy curves of a bell pepper and, you know, the the braininess look of, uh, of a cauliflower being this artful thing in nature. Say more about that. Well, I mean, nature is just, remarkable in what it does to create food and uh if we just take the time that second that millisecond to um complement nature for what it's given us to eat um that's the that's the antidote to stress that's the antidote to the Satan or monkey mind or whatever you want to say that's constantly talking about, you know, whatever happened yesterday and you screwed up and whatever is going to happen tomorrow that you're going to be sad about or whatever it is. It's just constant. It's it's our it's the main thing that we have to work on as human beings is can we just stay present and not um, get wound up in making up stories that aren't true that cause us to feel bad (laughs) so anything that one can do for me it's baking a loaf of bread or pulling weeds or taking a walk or swimming laps wow that's fantastic i'm just like one (laughs) two right (laughs) you don't have to sit down and go ohm you can good for you yeah i get that um but if it can just be part of uh turning on all your senses and then whatever it is you do whether it's you know negotiating a wave or cutting an onion you know if you're present and in the moment that's that's five minutes a half an hour or whatever that you weren't worried about things you can't control that's such a, uh, it's, this is the lesson that I keep having to learn over and over again. <laughs> Me too. And I'm older than yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, I love that you're sharing this concept. I wrote an article a while back called meditation sucks, but I want the benefits. And it, yeah. it the essence of it is that you don't have to sit on a pillow and say, Oh, not that there's anything wrong with that. That's fantastic. If that's your jam, but there's so many more on ramps available to us and we yes. have to find our own. Yeah. Um, and for you, it's baking or cutting an onion. And it can be for others too. And cooking can play that role. Um, well, and it's also uh, improvisation. 
In today's world, it's easy to get sucked down the path of optimizing everything we do for performance, especially within food and nutrition. I'm certainly guilty of that myself at times, but Cynthia is inviting us to walk through a different door. A door that when we pass through it allows us to let go of the performance and truly experience that juicy goodness of the present moment. It reminds me of a passage from Michael Pollan's book, Cooked. In it, he describes the process of cooking as a potentially meditative experience, at least for Buddhist monks, as he put it. As for himself, he said, I couldn't meditate if my life depended on it. Then he spent a year deepening his cooking practices, many times with Samin Nasrat of salt, fat, acid, heat fame, which revealed an important shift in him. Here's what he had to say about that shift. Quote, I don't want you to get the idea that it's made a Buddhist out of me, but in the kitchen, maybe a little bit. When stirring the pot, just stir the pot. I get it now. It seems to me that one of the great luxuries of life at this point is to be able to do one thing at a time. One thing to which you give yourself wholeheartedly. Unitasking, unquote. I think it's clear that both Michael and Cynthia were on to the same thing. In this last part of the conversation, we hear about Cynthia's YouTube show called Cookus Interruptus, as well as how she defines nature and connects with it daily. I want to just uh, build on this point a little bit, which is, you know, I've been nerding out pretty hard on nature connection research the last couple of years, as you might imagine. And there's a researcher in the UK named Miles Richardson. And one of the things he figured out through his work is that rather than just spending time in nature, actually noticing nature, in other words, tuning in on a, a slightly deeper level, actually increases people's nature connectedness. There's actually a scale for this and a survey for it to measure it. And the cool thing is the knock-on effect is when you're more nature connected, you tend to care about other people and other parts of the earth and the environment more, and you make more pro-social and pro-environmental behaviors. So in a lot of ways, what you're talking about in your TED talk is noticing nature. It just happens to be food in this case as a way to come into that moment with more fidelity, I guess. Yes. I, I'm going to give you a, 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 a silly little example of that, which is I have some some, I'm not a great gardener. I'm okay though. And I have some rose bushes. And man, when one of those roses starts to come up and out, I usually go out there and just give it a little, little monologue about how pretty it is. You know, just like, oh my gosh, look at you. You <laughs> are beautiful. I'm so happy that you decided to come on out and just compliment the the heck out of this rose and it's so easy to do because it is so beautiful and then I think I often think well I need to compliment people too and so I I started at some point and I'm not I'm not a person that's routinized at all so please forgive me but um but I do do this most mornings and then as I get up and I'm like what did I, what happened to me in the last 24 hours that I can tell somebody that was awesome or you did something great or I love the sweater you had on or that scene you did last night was in, 
was just so funny or whatever it was and send them a note and go and just just pass on whatever that is. It's just noticing things and being grateful for what the little good things there are, but not, but not just taking it in, not just, Hey, you're a pretty rose, but then, you know, cut the rose and take it to a neighbor and go, Hey, how are you doing today? What a great practice. I'm going to try that <laughs> or, or practice that a little bit more than I, I do. I do try, yeah. but I, I love the idea of waking up and having that be a, uh, an early thought in the day and, and to act yeah. on it. Yeah. Who can I, who, who, who did I connect with yesterday or last night or whatever that, you know, Mm. that affected me in some positive way? And can I reflect that back to them so that, Mm. and uh, it's so powerful. Someone wrote me a note today. I'm on my way to the, to get a mammogram. And I was just thinking about the last time we walked around Green Lake and how pleasant the conversation Mm. was. And maybe we can do that again soon. And that sort of made my day. I don't, I don't need much more. That's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'll take it. Hold yeah. on to that one. Yeah. Um, so shifting gears a little bit here, um, but staying in the, in the, in the realm of video. So Ted talk to, you started uh, with a group of friends, cook us, interrupt us, which mm-hmm. is a YouTube channel. And this starts to fuse your love of improv and acting and that experience with your cooking and teaching. Tell us, tell us what Cook Us Interrupt Us is. Well, it's kind of a cooking show that's also a sitcom. Sometimes I used to call it uh, Michael Pollan meets Everybody Loves Raymond. <laughs> I love that. That's so good. <laughs> And there was, uh, it was a family of a husband, a wife, the husband's father. So that would be my father-in-law and our grown daughter. And um, we have a relationship. We have a family dynamics and I'm, I'm in the kitchen and I know what I'm going to make and show to the camera. I'm a person that does a cooking show. My name is Cynthia, but this, um, pretend family uh, is interacting with me all the time and interrupting me. And I don't know what they're going to say or when they're going to come in, in any of the videos. And so some of them are, you know, some of them are just like, that's got to be scripted. (laughs) And, and some of them look like we're, we're kind of what? And that's fine. (laughs) Because it's that's exactly what happened is um, I wouldn't we we would start the camera we I would go over you know I'm gonna make this top a knot it's gonna be this this and this goes in here so the camera guy can kind of follow that and then I don't know one of you guys come in who wants to come in I don't know we'll figure okay and you just start you just go <laughs> and how many episodes have you all done. 170. Oh my goodness. And so people understand there's, there's obviously the entertainment and the improv side of it. And it's fun that way. And also reflects real life, right? We get interrupted in the kitchen, especially if you're a parent, but it's also practical recipes, right? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. A lot of recipes from your books and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah. um, It's fantastic. Yeah. 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 Are you still doing episodes? 
Oh no, we stopped in 2015, I think. I think mm. we, we did them for about eight years. I mean, sometimes we would shoot like seven a day. It was brutal. Wow. Seven a day? <laughs> yeah. Wow, that is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. But it was uh, all of us, uh, you know, they're, these are good friends of mine, including Brad, Brad, who did all the editing and shooting and everything. And uh, not there's not one of us that's that's uh, sad or not sad, but doesn't think it was worth wasn't worth it. We mm. all were like, that was so much fun. It was yeah. so worth it because it was so fun. That's great. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's still live. And yeah, can yeah. access the recipes and, you know, kick back and watch yeah. a few episodes. Yeah. Sometimes I'll just pick one out and watch it. And I'll just, I'll just start laughing because I know what was happening. I, I was like, somebody comes <laughs> in and says, your car's, your car's like rolling down the driveway, mom. And I'm like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> and I go here, take over. I'm leaving. Um, just, uh, I had to be so uh, you know, focused on the recipe, but then ready to just to just react to whatever crazy thing they came in and yeah. said. Yeah, I gained a whole new level of appreciation for improv. Uh, I went with my son, my younger son, Tyler, uh, who loves comedy, and he's working on being a comedy writer himself. But he, we went to uh, Middle Ditch and Schwartz. Oh gosh. And, oh my gosh. Oh my wonderful. goodness. What yeah. a, I was just awestruck at what they do. I mean, yeah. I was just kind of bowing down and going, this is incredible. Uh, yeah. yeah. So if anyone gets a chance to go see that, go see that. Uh, well, whatever. they, they have a, it, there's a couple of their things on, oh, on, Netflix, on Netflix or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. I'll have to link yeah. to it in the notes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you a few questions that I like to ask everyone toward the end of the interview, it, which in the first one is, what is nature to you? A lot of people, it lands for people different. What is it to you? Um, for me, nature is um, the force of creation in the universe. And it's here to, to teach us um, and to show us how powerful the creative force is. I guess you could call that God if you wanted to, although I don't quite, uh, I'm not a religious person, but certainly the power of creation is, is something to bow down to. And nature is always giving us messages that we're constantly ignoring about how it's okay to die, that death is just part of something normal, and that things come back. You know, that, that every spring, that every we, things rejuvenate, which is amazing. That's an amazing property that we don't often believe that we have. Um, and, and that there's cruelty, like the little rabbits that got killed mm -hmm. by my dog. And there's also incredible beauty, like some of those waves that you get in the middle of, you know? Mm. So it's always there telling us, giving us the biggest life lessons we could ever learn. And most of the time we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but if we could yeah but if we could just stop and like today i was putting some dirt in this pot out front i have a a lot of hostas because seattle weather likes mm. hostas and you know those hostas they just disappear during the winter they're just gone and you're and here's this little you know this little point of a hosta coming up and I, you know, I had to just stop and go, that's freaking amazing that it knows when it's okay to do that for it. And it doesn't need a timetable or a clock. It doesn't need to look up anything on Google. It just is going to go ahead and come on up. And I think that the more that we can notice those things, um, maybe, maybe we'll start to feel a little bit better um yeah yeah it's a skill it's a, it's, it's a hard journey to be to have a mind and take in the amount of input that we take every day and sort it out and not feel bad about something yeah it is a lot and it it's part of you know the mission here is to remind us all that it's a skill we have to practice over yeah. and over again because it's yeah. all those things we can tune into in nature that are are you know the full spectrum of what you laid out there from you know harsh savage <laughs> fear oriented stuff to beauty and everything in between it's all there at all times all at once uh so cultivate the practice right yeah yeah. yeah. And yeah. try to balance, try to balance out the the savagery that we see every day. Yeah. What Cynthia, what are a couple ways you like to microdose nature or connect with nature on a regular basis that might be you'd recommend for other people to try or it might be practical for others? I just I just think walk. Just mm -hmm. get outside and walk. Somebody told me, oh, are you doing 23 and 23? You know how we are. Mm. And I'm like, oh, what's that? <laughs> and, she, and she was like, oh, that you get outside every day in nine, in 2023 for 23 minutes. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure I do that. So thanks. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I know that if I'm starting to like, you know, say mean things about myself in my mind or say mean things about other people in my mind or be critical or judgmental or depressed or anxious, that if you just go outside. I was having a really tough time with something. I can't remember what it was, probably, I don't know, uh, last um, fall. And I decided that I was going to just take this particular walk and touch as many trees as possible. Just go up and put mm. my hand on it and ask it for some help. Um, Cause they're smart, way smarter than we are those trees. <laughs> That's a cool one. I've never heard that one. I love it. I'm going to try I don't that. know. Yeah. Cause yeah. they have different barks and it's, yeah. yeah. The more we can notice the beautiful details that nature has always given us, you know, I want to know what crows are talking about, you know, stuff like that. What <laughs> are you all, it. what are you all mad about today? 
<laughs> what he's walking about yeah what is it <laughs> yeah maybe maybe they need to go take a walk or a flight um yeah. those are great is there uh last question here uh where would you like to send people to connect with you and your work what's the best place to to point people where would you like them to, oh, to connect i'm kind of quiet these days um but you know just Go watch how to cut an onion or, or, you know, if you've got a friend that's having a baby, maybe look at feeding the whole family for them. Um, yeah, I, I mean, usually when people, I do have a website that's my name, but it's just like a, like a business card. It, there's not a lot going on there or anything. Um, Cause I'm spending most of my time trying to, um, you know, be in the world and, and just connect one-on-one -on -one with people more than have a platform and, and reach a lot of people. Not because I, mostly because um, I think I already did that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, it's a great place to be. <laughs> yeah. I love teaching improv. I'm if you're in Seattle, you should, I, I do stuff like, you know, an improvised 90 minute play. I just love it. It's so fun for me. Um, and, uh, and I teach it and what I'm teaching people say, Oh, I can't take improv because I'm not quick witted enough or I'm not funny enough or something like that. And, um, I try to tell them, but they don't believe me that really, because I've been teaching improv now almost constantly for six years. Um, it's really about teaching people how to listen. Mm. Wow. Which I find a very worthwhile activity. Hey, that sounds very worthwhile. I think we could all use a little bit more of that. <laughs> and it's it, and to listen and to connect. And man, it's, you know, it's, 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 it's hilarious. To, to watch people, and I, I, this sounds awful. It, it's not hilarious. It's moving to see how difficult that is for human beings to connect rather than disconnect. And yeah. all they want to do is connect. Every human, they just want to connect. And so in my classes, we talk about what are the, you know, 5,000 ways that you disconnect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. How do you, how, how come that happens so often? Yeah. Why is that the default, right? <laughs> why is that the default? Yeah. And, um, and let's, let's, let's do it a little bit differently this evening. Well, if I'm, the next time I'm traveling through Seattle and I have the right amount of time on my hands, I would absolutely <laughs> love to come to your improv class. It'd be oh yeah. 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 It's fun. It's, I, have, yeah. I have to learn how to listen a lot more. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't, I don't get that from you at all. Uh, I try, but I can, I can jabber a lot too. So, but I appreciate it. We that. all do that. Yeah. 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 yeah, Cynthia, thank you so, so much for yeah. coming on the show, sharing your stories and, and importantly, just 
for everything you've taught and the number of people you've taught over the years, the ripple effect and tentacles out into the world of good are more than you know, um, but I bet you sleep well at night as a result. So thank you so, so much. Really appreciate You're it. You're very welcome. You, I, I still make tempeh tacos. So there you go. <laughs> That's that, a great recipe. that came 100% from you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Thanks for joining me, Cynthia. Your body of work and energy is a breath of fresh, human, common sense air that is so desperately needed these days. We're all better off from you doing your thing over the last few decades, so thank you. Listeners, I encourage you to check out Cynthia's book, Feeding the Whole Family. Get yourself into the kitchen, pop on some music that moves you, tune into what your food is telling you, and then sit down with some people you love and savor it all. I trust it's an experience you won't regret. Enjoy. As always, thanks for tuning in to Nature Junkie Radio. I invite you to head over to our website at naturejunkielife.com for show notes, to learn more about Nature Connection, and to sign up for our newsletter. And one last thing, please share how you microdose nature so I can share it with everyone in a future episode of the podcast. It's simple. Just get out your phone, record a voice memo for about 30 seconds to a minute. Tell me your first name, where you're from, describe how you microdose nature, and importantly, how does it make you feel? Just email that voice memo to hello at naturejunkielife.com. That's hello at naturejunkielife.com, and that's all it takes. Thanks so much in advance, and as always, thanks for listening to Nature Junkie Radio. Microdose nature and replenish your stoke.